The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and I'm so happy and excited to be with you on this Monday morning. It is the 17th of May. Somebody, like, hold my purse and my earrings. I don't know how this, like, I feel like time just started to speed up. Because uh, how did we get to May? Uh, this is craziness. And, you know, if you've been watching the show, we're on a, we're on a countdown right now. Because my son turns 18 now in just a few days. And then... Six days after that, he graduates from high school. Where does the time go? Uh, so there's a lot going on over here at the Penrod Miller Hacienda, uh, but it's all exciting. And I'm thrilled to be able to be here and share some of that with you guys uh, and other things with you guys. So we are live right now and we're gonna be live for the next hour with some scintillating conversation about autism from a 360 degree perspective. We've got an amazing guest who's gonna be joining us a little bit later on. Sarah Caldwell is the author of a new children's book that I know we mentioned this, we teased this a little bit on Friday and all of your eyebrows went, what? I wanna know more about this uh, with characters that are super fun and that are uh, will help us to have a little bit more understanding and appreciation for folks who are on the autism spectrum and for folks who have any kind of a seizure disorder because that's a pretty common thing for our kids. So I know, you know, when I was talking children's book about autism awareness, everybody was like, yes, that's wonderful. And then when I said seizure, you guys all went, hello, what? I know Nancy Osbaugh Jackson was like, I gotta, I gotta see this. Hey, we're saying good morning to Angel and to Ganja. Good morning. Yes, I see we're getting yays. Uh, so that's all coming up a little bit later on. But I want you guys to know uh, we're going to do our usual jargon of the day and all that first, but uh, I want you to know that it's interactive all the way through. We're here and we love being here with you guys live. So if you want to write in with your questions, your comments, your concerns, you absolutely can right now. We're live right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and our homepage, autism-live.com, plus about, I think it's 17. I keep picking these numbers out of the hat, uh, but it fluctuates day to day. We're live on a bunch of different sites, but those big three, if you Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, if you write in on those platforms, I will be able to see it in real time. Uh, if you are watching in podcast, and we are available as a free download wherever you get your podcasts, in fact, thanks to you, we recently were rated the number one autism podcast worldwide. Shut the front door. I know, it's because of you guys, so thank you for that. Uh, and we count on you guys to share what you find here with other people and let them know it's free. You're not selling them anything. But if you think somebody's looking for answers and a place to feel at home and to come as they are, send them on over our way. Let them know about us, right? 
Uh, and our podcasts are available and you can get them with just sound or picture and sound, however you would prefer. And we are only available on places where the download is for free. Because we, for 10 years, we've been fighting that battle. Everybody wants to, you know, make it so that we have to charge you and we keep going, no, <laughs> this has got to be free information. Why? Because uh, I feel very strongly about that. I feel like the autism community needs some information and inspiration. And that's what we set out to do here 10 years ago. And we're still going strong. And when I say autism community, I'm talking about that larger autism community that we talk about here that starts, of course, with individuals who are on the spectrum themselves, right? Of course, they are the beating heart of our community. But we also include in our group everyone who loves those individuals and wants to be a part of fighting for their rights, the, you know, the right to be able to live where they want, work where they want, love who they love, dress how they dress, be how they are, yeah, um, and be able to do all the things that they want to do that are important to them, not things that I as a mother decide are important, right? It's a very important distinction. And what are my credentials to be here? I, I just gave it away. I'm a mom. My son, as I said, is about to turn 18, was diagnosed with autism at two and a half. He is spectacular. I will fight with anybody who says that he's not. Uh, and he got some of the best help and support to be able to help him to do what he wanted to do, which I think is super important. And so we talk about that type of therapy, which is called ABA. And I know firestorm controversy, um, but I really can't iterate enough on this show that um, there's ABA, um, which is all over the place now, widespread in the 10 years we've been doing this show, everybody and their brother opened an ABA place, right? Um, and then there's good quality ABA, and that's what we talk about here. So if I forget to say, you know, we're talking about good quality ABA and the hallmarks, what, how do you know it's good quality ABA? Because if you've never seen ABA before and somebody says, well, make sure you get good quality. And you're like, what would that look like? Right? Uh, so we try to shed some light on that. But always through the lens of that autism is not one size fits all. It is not even one size fits most. Yeah. So uh, we try to be respectful about, you know, what worked for my son it might be different for you or your child. Yeah. Um, so, but we welcome everything here, wherever you are, whatever you're thinking, whatever you're feeling, you're welcome here. You have a home here. You're part of the tribe, that bigger, um, we, we love folks on the spectrum and welcome them tribe. Uh, okay. So we, having said all of that, like I said, we have lots of experts on the show, uh, but I, uh, you know, I'm a mom and I don't want to shortchange that. I used to say I'm just a mom. There's no such thing as that. Just a mom. Uh, I'm a mom right? and I'm a mom with a capital M O M mom on a mission, uh, and want to help you on whatever mission you're on but I'm not an expert. I have been covering autism uh, in, in this show and in another show before that. Now, I think I'm up to 14 years of covering autism with a journalistic point of view. So I always like to say I have an informed opinion that I like to share, um, but that doesn't make me an expert. So let's just remember uh, that I'm not an expert, but I care deeply about whatever your story is and whatever you're trying to accomplish. Okay. So we start out Mondays with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey, nani, nani are those experts talking about? 
And why is it important? Because I, I don't know about you, but when my son was diagnosed and people started yakking at me and I was like, what is this language you're speaking? And I, I got frustrated and overwhelmed with it. But then, I, and I just rejected it out of hand and said, you know, explain it to me as if I didn't get a degree in psychology, okay? But then I realized a couple of years in that I was shortchanging him and I was shortchanging myself, that we could move faster, get more done and have more progress if I learned some of these terms. But you can't learn them all overnight, right? So we give them to you one at a time, uh, like three a week. And we try to first give you the actual definition. Then we make fun of the actual definition uh, and how useless it normally is, sometimes not. And then we give you a working definition to try to help you to understand what this is and what it has to do with you and why you should care, why it's important enough. Because listen, I don't give you jargon terms that I'm like, you're never going to run into that, right? Uh, that's just if you're a BCBA, more jargon. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, we're, so today's jargon term, it's time for the jargon of the day. Today's jargon term is one that's a relatively new term, um, and that's an RBT. And many of you are... Uh, running into this term more and more uh, because your, your insurance got involved with this term. And whenever insurance get involved and suddenly you don't have therapy because you don't have an RBT and you go, all right, wait a second, what is an RBT and why is this messing up my therapy? So let's take a look at what our actual definition, now that we're in alphabet land, my favorite place to be, not. Uh, an RBT is a registered behavior technician. Oh, goody. Doesn't that sound dry? Doesn't it sound like you just ate a bunch of crackers and now your mouth is dry? Uh, registered behavior technician. There's nothing warm and fuzzy about this. I remember when the industry was figuring out what they were going to call this. And I was like, please don't call them technicians. It's just so wrong. But, you know, uh, I was not listening to on this. So <laughs> it is registered behavior technician. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and you notice that a lot of times now we refer, we used to call them therapists. The people who would do ABA with our kiddos and our teens and adults, we called them therapists. Well, that got confusing because everybody thought, oh, you're laying on a couch and you're talking to them about, you know, the fact that your mother didn't give you what you wanted for your 10th birthday. No. Uh, so that didn't work. So we had to go to something else and they came up with technician. Yes. Uh, I can guarantee you the person who came up with this had lots and lots of letters after their name and had never watched an episode of Friends, right? Technician is not warm and fuzzy. However, it's what insurance liked too. And you know, we live in the land of insurance. So, okay, but that's what it is. But what does this actually mean to you and why is it so important? So let's take a look at our working definition. A registered behavior technician is an individual who has been certified to show that they understand the basic tenets of applied behavior analysis. So if somebody goes, and right now every ABA company in the world is hiring. If you are looking for a job, there are jobs available. And if you like working with kids, woohoo! Now, every ABA uh, company doesn't train the same as other companies, but they need to give you a little bit of training. And what a lot of companies do will give a certain amount of training and then they'll say, we want you to go and get your RBT. Um, and so the RBT people can go and the first step of it is that they take an online e-learning class that's paced at their own pace 
I'll tell you where the best one is in just a minute. Um, but so they take this class about what do I need to know about applied behavior analysis? And then after that, you have to take a test to show that you not only took the class, but that you understand it and can implement it. And it's a good test. I've taken it, by the way, uh, passed, yes. Um, but it, it's a good test because it doesn't just test, you know, do you know the information? It tests to see if you can utilize the information in circumstances that weren't given to you. Mm, we li I like that kind of a test. Okay. So then an RBT, in order to get that RBT de designation, they have to work with a mentor and they have to do a certain number of hours of working with individuals doing ABA. All right. Now I'm going to tease that later on in the week, we have another term, which is a BCAT, which is a board certified autism technician. And we'll talk about what that is, I think, on Thursday. Maybe not. I don't know. So let me just say this. The difference between an RBT and a BCAT is that you can be an RBT and know absolutely nothing about autism. You know how to apply the tenets of ABA, um, but you don't necessarily, there is no requirement to understand about autism. Doesn't that seem odd to you? It seems odd to me. So the BCAT is a certification that is very similar that you take a class and you test and mentorship and hours, um, but you have to also know about autism. It's very autism specific. Can you use ABA for autism? Which to me makes more sense. Um, so insurance companies though, um, at the time that they were making the determination, I think that there were more ways to get registered behavior technician certification. And so a lot of times your insurance will say, we're going to fund ABA for you, but we're only going to fund if someone has this amount of training for RBT. Some insurance will say, we'll take an RBT or a BCAT because that makes sense, right? And a very few insurance companies will say, no, we're going to require a BCAT. Um, so I promised I was going to give you a training that actually covers both. That if you take this training, you are set to take the test for the RBT or the BCAT that gives you both all in one class. So save time, money, learn everything you need to learn. And it's the wonderful IBT that I talk about all the time on the show, the Institute for Behavioral Training. You can get there, ibehavioraltraining.com. And as many of you know, if you've been watching the show, they've been giving a lot of things away in the pandemic. I don't know how much longer that's going to last. Um, but right now, if you are a parent, a caregiver, and you would like to take that RBT 2.0 course, which also gets you ready for a BCAT test, they're giving it away for free to parents, uh, but you have to call them and say that you saw it here. So um, Traven, do we have that phone number? Can you put that up there? Because I don't know, I don't know it off the top of my head. Uh, you can also go to ibehavioraltraining.com, but it won't get you the discount. So there is the phone number. It's 877-975-4559, 877-975-4559. It says skills there because they've joined together. And um, so when you, they answer the phone or you're going to leave a message because they're very busy, and still working socially distanced, 
um, you will say, hi, I'm calling to get the free RBT 2.0 Shannon Penrod sent me from Autism Live and they will get back to you. Now, if you are watching internationally and you can't just, you don't have WhatsApp and you can't just call this number, please feel free to email me and say you want the free RBT 2.0. And what I will do is forward it over to them. So it's S Penrod, which is P as in Peter, E as in egg, N as in Nancy, R as in robot, O as in Oscar, D as in dog, at autism, which I know you know how to spell, hyphen, that's the dash in the middle, live, L-I-V as in Victor, E.com. And you can write to me whenever you want. Um, I just am checking in with some of the comments that you guys are making. Um, Oh, somebody, I see somebody is saying that their son is on the autism spectrum and now they are seeing symptoms in their daughter's behavior too. Um, I'm scared and, um, and I don't know about their future. And I'm sending you a virtual hug through this screen right now. Fear is a very real thing, right? Um, but I want you to remember that you already have been through this once and now you know more. So all the time that it took you to figure out what to do for your son, your learning curve is, in, is on point, on fleek, as they say. And, and instead of being in the fear, I want you to think about if your best girlfriend came to you and said, my child is showing signs of autism, what should I do? And what you would say to them, because I know you and I know that you're an amazing mom. And what you would say is, let me give you a hug. It's going to be okay. But when we, when we hear autism or see autism or are told autism or we're thinking we're going to be told autism, it's not game over. It's game on, right? Lisa Ackerman, quote. Uh, okay, so you need to take her and get her looked at. Because you know what? It might not be autism. It might be something else. Or if it is autism, what do we know about autism? Early intensive intervention is what's found to be most effective. So when is that? Now. If your child is 14, now. If your child is four, now. If your child is two, now. If your child is 38, now. I know people think early, and, and we put things on that. Early means now, now intervention, yeah? And you will walk through it, and we will hold your hand, and it will be okay. It will, it will, and you will be okay. I have watched so many families. I was not blessed with a second child but I've watched so many families go through this. There's a, there's a great, great book. Uh, Ileana Gershlevitz talks about having gone through autism with one of her sons and then when her third son was diagnosed with autism and how it just about leveled her. But she knew what to do and they got on board and all the time it took to figure out what to do for her son, they just got started with her youngest son who has now you know, I, I know I've, I've said to people, I don't want to use the word recovered because I think it triggers some people, but her son has no disabling aspects of autism now, the youngest son, because they were able to start so early. So I'm putting that in your backpack, Ganja, and I want you to take her and get her diagnosed as soon as possible. Uh, okay. Uh, wonderful. Uh, and um, I'm just reading your, your comments and I love that you guys are writing in and giving that mom some support. Okay, we need to move on. Now that we've done our jargon of the day, we gotta go on to our question for the day. So I love this question because it was just Teacher Appreciation Week two weeks ago, but it's never too late to think about this. 
um, who was your favorite teacher? And I'm gonna further ask you why. What was it about that teacher that made them your favorite teacher? And I have a bunch of favorite teachers and for different reasons. I have some teachers that were just so passionate about the subject that they taught that they lit it up, they made it come alive, they made it exciting. But then there are other teachers that I have that I, they're my favorite teacher because I knew they believed in me. And I knew that they knew that I could do what it was that they were teaching, the power of belief. I love when we talk to Temple Grandin and she talks about that science teacher that just lit her up, a teacher that makes a difference. We, uh, as I said, my son's getting ready to graduate from high school, but when he was a freshman in high school, he had the teacher and I've written this teacher a letter. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Uh, like the letter that made us all weep and do the <gasps> kind of crying because um, oh, he changed his life. Uh, you know, my son was somebody who even in sixth grade had a BIP for writing because he didn't want to write. And then he went into ninth grade with this teacher who said, I see a writer. I know that he's there. I'm not going to force you to do it in the way that other people have done it. I want to know what you want to write. And he unveiled a writer. And now my son is getting ready to go to college to be a writer. Um, it's just insane. It's just totally, totally insane. But that's what one teacher can do. One teacher. Ooh. Uh, and if you haven't already, uh, if it's possible, if the teacher who is your favorite teacher is still alive, write to them, tell them and tell them why. And if they're not alive, tell their kids, find their kids and tell them. I've had to do that before with one teacher. And the daughter cried and cried and cried and said, you can't know how much this means to me to know this. So let them know. But why were they their favorite teacher? And what can we learn? Because we're all teachers, right? What can we learn about being that teacher to ourselves and to the people that we love on and off the spectrum? How can we be a better teacher? Uh, okay, so write in and tell us who is your favorite teacher. Name them because uh, they like to be named. Okay, and then we're moving on to our topic for the week. And our topic this week is leaning in to support. I know that there is this myth in the motherhood and parent community um, that you're supposed to know everything, how to take care of your child the minute they come, you know, in the first time they're placed into your arms, however they got there, um, that you're supposed to know how to do everything. It's a myth. It's not, they don't come with instruction booklets. And especially when our kids come with additional challenges, that doesn't come with an instruction booklet either. So we have to let go of the idea that we can do this by ourselves. We have to be willing to ask for help. We have to be willing to take help. We gotta lean in to the support where it's available. And I don't know about you, but I found once I became a member of that larger autism community uh, after my son was diagnosed that there were people I expected to be my support. Like, I remember thinking in particular that, you know, my family was going to be so helpful and so supportive and, you know, bless them. I don't want to say anything negative about my family, but what I found was that there were other people who gave me the help that I really needed and the support that I really needed. And that sometimes I was surprised at who stepped up. 
um, good surprised. And sometimes I was horribly, horribly disappointed by people that I thought got it and didn't. It's taken me many, many years to realize that very few people get it. Very few people get it. But when they do, lean into them. Let them hold you. I tell the story all the time on the show about the dream that I had about being in other people's arms. I want you to know that right now you are in more people's arms than you know. People that you don't know are right now in a room discussing what can we do to help and they're describing you and your family right now. What can we do to help that dad? What can we do to help that adult on the spectrum? What can we do? What services can we provide? How can we get the message to this person that we're here and that we are compassionate and wanna help support them in their decision to uh, get a different job or go to college or whatever it is. Um, so, um, Lean in, lean into the support. I'm seeing Bert says two years ago while talking with a head social worker at the senior center about becoming disabled, I found out that I have Asperger's. Doctors have not even, um, doctors and not even people at the mental health uh, facility know much. No wonder uh, why nobody understands me. But Bert, I wanna say to you, there's a lot of us here that do understand. And more than that, because it isn't always about understanding because there are things that I can't possibly understand. But Bert, we accept you and we acknowledge you and we're here and you know we're here lovingly um, to be friends and offer support. So lean in, Bert, we're here for you. Uh, okay, so uh, having said all of that, lean into the support, write in for the things that you guys need here. If I don't know, I'll find somebody. Hey, Bob DeMarco, we gotta get you on the show. Uh, and I think I'm supposed to have a meeting with you, but I don't remember when, uh, I but I think that's coming up. Uh, so anyway, but I see you, I'll, I'll message you after the show. Thank you for reminding me. Um, but anyway, we've got a great guest for you here today. Sarah Caldwell is here with us. And as I mentioned at the start of the show, she's the author of a children's book that I think is going to be of particular interest to all of you because it's a, it's a beautiful, beautifully illustrated book and um, that we're going to ask her what her inspiration was. Um, but the main mission of the book is to help children have an appreciation and an acceptance of both autism and epilepsy and other um, issues where there might be seizures. So that's a really exciting thing. And we want to welcome Sarah to the show. Sarah, thank you so much for being with us. Hi. Hi. Now, first of all, we have to ask, where are you coming to us from? So I'm in the UK, in Cheshire, in the UK. And I'm loving your accent. It is uh, <laughs> crazy, crazy fabulous. Um, so, so I have no idea what time of day or night is it there? Um, half six in the evening, tea the time. Evening. Okay, so it's not the middle of the night, at least. Uh, no. It looks like it's pretty sunny. Great. Uh, so we've got to start with um, this wonderful book. Tell us about the book, the name of the book, and where we can get it, and then tell us what the inspiration was for it. So the book is Amelie and Albie's Adventures, and it's available through Amazon. Um, and the inspiration is my eldest daughter, Amelie. Um, so Amelie was born with a rare condition. It's sebaceous nevus syndrome. 
Um, and as part of that, she's kind of got an umbrella of different conditions. So autism, epilepsy and sensory processing disorder. Um, and so I think, so Emily's seven now and over kind of the last few years and kind of experiencing just kind of general day-to-day -day life, whether it's going to the supermarket and Emily decides that every single thing that goes in the trolley, you know, is getting flung out or you go to the park and she's resistant that she doesn't want to get out of the swing and everybody's kind of staring and looking and thinking, what's she doing? Um, and it was just a platform to try and help educate children and families really um just kind of the uh, you know kind of the world through Amelie's eyes is the best way to describe it so kind of just seeing seeing you know her in the park what's her interpretation you know how much is she kind of taken on from a sensory process inside um and she has a breast friend um Albie the dragon that kind of is there to help and kind of support her um along the way so yeah, it's just a kind of a nice tale. It's like a rhyming tale um, to kind of just go through those day-to-day -day experiences. And, you know, I, I can't even imagine how important it was for you, not only to represent your daughter, but I hear from so many people who have kids on the spectrum who are also having seizures. Some of them have not yet been diagnosed with epilepsy because my understanding is that you have to have a certain number of seizures before you get the, the dual diagnosis. Um, but, you know, the minute I said that that's what this book was about, boy, the interest was overwhelming, Sarah. People were like, really? Well, we need that book. So talk a little bit about what it means to you and what you hope this book will accomplish, both for your daughter and for the community. Um, I think for me, it's the raising awareness piece, especially. Um, hope, hopefully it'll help educate um, typical families. I don't like using that word, but typical families um, and something that's enjoyable for them to read as part of their kind of book collection and to start seeing it as the norm, so to speak, and it to not be different. And um, the feedback that I've had so far has been lovely because people have kind of said, it's actually gave us that platform to be able to have a conversation as a family because in there it talks about Emily being nonverbal and talking with the hands rather than being able to use words and you know there's children that are saying well why does she use hands why can't she talk and you know unless they've kind of going to ever come up against that you know they're never going to ask those questions and then also from an epilepsy point of view it, it can be scary you know so if it's your first time of seeing a seizure in you know that person whether it's a child or an adult and it's in public um, I just thought it's a nice kind of soft way to kind of introduce that in a book because I've got a younger daughter that's three and a half and I kind of thought how can I teach my daughter about epilepsy without it being too frightening um, and then I tried to have a look for those types of books and kind of struggled to come across it so that's kind of where um, the messages come from and the why and I'm just hoping that it's going to be kind of a first of a series so I will be expanding um, from this. I'm in the middle of writing the second one at the moment, which will kind of touch on other areas, but I'm hoping it will just become a series that people will kind of get invested in and want to continue to kind of follow the journey. And the illustrations are beautiful. I know Trayvon's about to show the cover of the book. Did you do the illustrations or did someone else? No, no I definitely didn't. <laughs> there it so is. it's a lady, Rosanna Laws, um, that did the illustration on the book for me. It's, it's very beautiful and loving and caring and, um, you know, it feels very watercolor-esque, um, yeah. very accessible for anyone. And I love this idea of, 
you know, um, here in the United States, I don't, I don't know if Mr. Rogers was a big deal in the UK, but here, Mr. Rogers, when I was a kid, was a very big deal. And one of the things that Mr. Rogers would do is that he would always talk about things on the show and, and, he, and he was so calm and steady and, and he would talk about something in a way that children could take in the information non-judgmentally and, and, and he would allow them to have their feelings about it. Um, and I, you know, it was so such a sad day when Mr. Rogers retired. I feel like other things like Sesame Street and um, what the, the t Mr. Tiger's uh, neighborhood sort of took the place, it's a spinoff of Mr. Rogers. But I, I feel like they really set these, this great example that when we want to talk to a child about something, it's better to have them experience it in a way that allows them to have their feelings and normalizes it, which is why I think it's so important that when every night we need to be reading to our kids, every night, and reading with them when that comes about. Uh, regardless, I know for some of you, you're like, oh, my child won't allow me to read. We'll talk about that in a second. Because this is an important, an important, important thing, reading to our children from a very young age. And you need to have enough books, a library of enough books, or go to the library on a regular basis to have different topics, but it's a great teaching tool. And, and yet, uh, you know, for me, I was always wanting a book that I could read to my son where he could recognize himself, that he can see himself in the story. And, and at a certain point when we started including the A word in our conversations, there were the children's books were few and far between that dealt with this. And, I, and I'm hearing even less that deal with seizures and epilepsy. So I always think when we have somebody on who's written a book, uh, you know, who is this book for? Um, and I think, first of all, it's for our kiddos that are on the spectrum to be able to recognize themselves. But I, I love that you brought up that, you know, reading it to your younger child so that she has an understanding of the fact that this, this is your sister and it's okay. It's okay. And I hope that when adults are reading this with their kids, that they will hear the message. Sarah, because I think... The, the kids yeah. will pick it up fast. It's the adults that are slow to learn. Uh, <laughs> tell us again, where where can we get the books? It's on Amazon. So it's Amazon or the webpage, which is amelieandalby.com. Okay. And you mentioned that, that you think that this is going to be a series. How lovely for your daughter that she's going to be featured yeah. in a series. So we will look forward to more of that. Now I want to shift to talking, since I don't know that I have ever heard you say what it is that your daughter was diagnosed with before. And since we're here and have you, I'm, I'm just going to guess that you are not the only person that's had a daughter diagnosed with this. Talk to us about um, your daughter and what life is like for her day to day and tell us a little bit. I don't even remember, say it again for us, what she was diagnosed with. Sebaceous nevus syndrome. Okay. Um, so basically when Amelie was born, um, the only apparent kind of differences, so to speak, was that she's got a skin condition. So there's kind of bald patches on her head where the hair hasn't grown through. And originally they thought they were birthmarks. And then when Amelie was 12 weeks old, that's when she had a first um, seizure. Mm. Um, and that kind of opened the gate up then in terms of, you know, what's going on. Um, so Amelie 
had about 100 seizures a day. So it kind of spiraled straight away from being a baby. And um, we got to a point where we went through seven different medicines and they weren't doing anything. So she got approved for epilepsy surgery. Um, and she ended up having brain surgery in Great Ormond Street in London. Um, so she had a left temporal lobe resection and that's part of the condition. So basically the brain, um, you know, just wasn't formed correct, correctly. And that's hence why she was having the seizures. Um, so we went through this, the surgery and then six months post-surgery, she started seizing again, but a mm. completely different type of seizure. So she went from having focal seizures um, into West syndrome. So it's a spasm instead. Um, and then, so she still sees us today, um, kind of daily. And we just have to kind of maintain it with a medicine that we can do because she's already had the surgery. Um, but in herself, she's, you know, a happy little girl. She knows no different. Um, she's somebody who kind of strives through every challenge that's kind of been thrown her way. Um, she was non-verbal, still kind of, she's pre-verbal, so to speak. Um, so within the last 12 months with lockdown in the UK and them kind of homeschooling, we've managed to get her to learn up to a hundred words in context. So she's, uh, she just keeps amazing, you know, she's amazing. She just keeps uh, shocking us every single day with something new that she learns really. I can't even imagine, was she your first child? Yeah. So a deep. <laughs> well, and you, forgive me, but you look incredibly young. And um, so I can't imagine being a young woman, having your first baby 12 weeks old, you're overwhelmed anyway. I don't know anybody who wasn't overwhelmed at 12 weeks with their first baby. And then she has a seizure. Like, did you know that that's what it yeah. was the first time she had one? No, I had no clue. So with the seizure type that she had originally, um, the colour just completely went out of her face. So she'd go like a bluey grey colour. And at the time, I was obviously on maternity leave and I was just giving her a feed, basically. And naively, she was choking. And I was just thinking, is it some, what, what we're doing wrong? Um, and luckily, and I always say there's somebody that was watching over me, but I went out the front of my house and literally at the time where I've kind of panicked and gone out the front, there was a lady that walked past the front of my house and she was a nurse. Oh. And um, she said to me, your baby's having a seizure, you need to call the ambulance. And I was just a bit like, what on earth? Because I've never witnessed it myself before. Um, so that's kind of where it all began. Wow. Somebody yeah. was looking out for you to put a nurse right outside your yeah. door. Oh my goodness. And then having a hundred seizures a day, I don't know, like, how did you deal with that, Sarah? It, it was a struggle. It was, the, at the time, it was kind of the, the picture, so to speak, that you think you're gonna have of mat leave and going to baby groups and, you know, meeting all these new mums and kind of socializing and doing, you know, the new mum things that you're, you're expecting to do. And it kind of turned into, she would either seize or she would sleep because she was recovering from the seizure. Um, so it, a lot of the time we would just stay in, you know, she wasn't well or just kind of stay local and go for walks and things like that. So it completely kind of changed and obviously a lot of hospital visits and stays and things like that as well. So it was, um, yeah, it was, you kind of, your whole world is kind of turned upside down. And I think with every single seizure, it never becomes easier, so to speak. Um, you know, the, the feeling that you get that first time round is exactly the same as how you kind of feel each time. For some reason, it just kind of, you just kind of get used to it and build a barrier through it. Wow. And so I'm just wondering like, who was in your corner? Who was your big support 
in those early days while you were trying to figure it out? Did you have anybody that you could lean into, Sarah? Yeah, I think for me, um, family has been a huge support, the family network that we've got around us and friends as well. Um, and then I think as part of the journey, the specialists that um, kind of came on board and, you know, we looked for a certain kind of neuro doctor that specialised in Amelie's case and um, he was amazing. Um, so he's supported us through that whole journey as well. Amazing. And so now how many kids do you have now? Two, two girls. And was there a part of you when you found out that you were going to be graced with a second child? Was there a part of you that was worried that she would also have seizures? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So with Amelie, with it being so rare, we were advised that they didn't kind of know whether Arabella, my youngest, whether she was going to have any seizures or any kind of complications. So they made a point of me going in weekly, doing a lot of checks and, you know, just checking how everything is. But as any mum, when you're pregnant, you're anxious, aren't you, of <laughs> the whole journey and, you yeah. know, what's going to be. Um, but, yeah, so Bella hasn't, she isn't on the spectrum and she doesn't have epilepsy or anything. Um, she's like a, a mum, a mum role model for her sister. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm glad because um, I'm sure that she is helpful with her sister. So now, Amelie, you said, is seven years old? Yeah. And I'm so interested in the fact that uh, staying at home for a year meant that she's gained some skills. Does this make you yeah. a little bit ticked off at the school? Like, are you a little bit mad like that <laughs> might have happened if they've been doing what they should have been doing? Yeah, so it's kind of split side. So I think kind of the bonus is being, because obviously I work full time typically. So it's lovely to have had that time of a one-to-one. -one. It kind of took me back to the mat leave that I didn't feel like I had, so to speak, that kind of one-to-one -one time. Um, but then on the flip side with Emily, when she's out of routine, it really kind of shakes her, so to speak. And, you know, it's really hard to kind of get the concentration, but we managed to kind of just take snippets through the day where she was with us, she would concentrate and she'd kind of sit down. And with that, Bella got in involved in the activities. Mm -hmm. um, so it was good from that aspect and recording it and videoing every single kind of new word or sign that she was learning. But it does kind of make you reflect and think, you know, is she in the right setting? You know, I'm not qualified. I'm not a speech therapist. You know, why have I been able to get that out of her? But, you know, they haven't in school. So, yeah, it does make you think. What's going to happen? Um, and I know it's a little bit different there right now. For the longest time, I'm in LA, and for the longest time, we were the hot spot for the world, and it was the worst. And now, you know, they're telling us in less than 30 days, we're going to be 100% open and everything's going to be back. Where you are, are you going back into the classroom yet, or is there a plan to go back in the classroom? Yeah, so she is back in school and she is in the classroom. Um, she's in a special needs school, um, so she's in a special provision where she gets a one-to-one. -one. Um, so schools are back open. And are you going to uh, push for, like, are they aware of how much progress that, that she made with you? Because I love this. I love how we all shortchange ourselves, and I love that your thought process was like, I'm not a speech and language pathologist, and yet you got more than anybody else has ever gotten. So I just want to celebrate you, first of all, because you're amazing um, on every front. But now that you know this, are you going to push for them to do more at school? Yeah, I've reached out whilst we were in lockdown and we've weirdly got a meeting tomorrow. <laughs> so, wow. um, everybody kind of aligned to kind of go through it and to kind of reevaluate her kind of educational health plan. 
Yeah. Um, I think sometimes, listen, I love teachers. I'm a former teacher and I, you know, I, I love everybody who works with our kids and I think that they all mean well, most of them anyway, but I do think that sometimes they get comfortable thinking our kids can't do it. And maybe now they will see that she can learn those things and they'll push harder for it. I'm going to wish that for you that they get super excited about it. So what an amazing mom you are. I think, um, you know, we've got a couple of people who've written in, in the chat and said how incredible it is that, you, that you've written this book because I think it's a really healthy way to take all the things and experiences that you have and give it as a gift to other people um, and celebrate her. You know, forevermore, she's going to be the, the title of this book. Does it give her some self-esteem, do you think? I don't know if she's got the understanding. She, we read it daily and mm -hmm. she'll pick the book and she'll give it to me or a sister. Um, but she's very obsessed with the red car. So she's got an obsession over transport and cars. So she won't really let us budge past that piece. But I do think she recognizes the illustration has her down to a T. So it does look like Emily. Um, so she does enjoy it. I think that that's wonderful. Um, so I, I think it's incredible. Some people are writing in saying that they want to write a book. And I always say to people, if you want to write a book, write a book. Um, and we'll be happy when, you're, when you've got your book published. We'll be happy to have you on, like Sarah, to talk about your book. Bert, you said that you want to uh, do a, a children's book about birds. Bert, do it. Uh, life is short. You might as well do it. There was a day when you didn't have this book done. And you decided I'm going to do it, Sarah. I'm sure it was hard. You've got your hands full. You're working full time. You've got two girls. You've got extra. How did you get it done? I think it was just, it's been in the back of my mind for a while, but it was just sandwiching that time, whether it's an hour each evening, you know, and just kind of putting that time aside when the children are asleep and you can focus on writing something um, and just keeping focused. I had it on the top of my bulk, bulk, kind of bookshelf, kind of away from the girls so that they couldn't reach it and just kept going back to it. And I kind of found for me that nighttime worked. So that's what I went with. I love it. I feel like, you know, a part of it is therapy and you're putting it out there and it will help other people. So we really want to encourage everybody, um, get the book, Amelie and Albie, uh, Amelie and Albie's Adventures, excuse me. You can get it on Amazon. You can also, Traven has put it in the chat, uh, amelieandalbie.com. You can go there and you can order it there. Although it will be in pounds, not dollars. Um, so I'm sure that it has a way of translating that, but I saw that this morning. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> uh, that's how I knew that you weren't somewhere here in the States that we were going to be talking <laughs> to. But um, I really want to encourage, and you know, I always say when getting these books, it's a wonderful thing to get two. And there's always somebody, you know, it's somebody's birthday um, coming up uh, or something. And what a great gift if you get one for your child and then you get one for their best friend at school or the, or your friend's friend that you're trying to get them to do play dates, uh, add it to their library. And what you will do is spread awareness and acceptance. And, you know, giving a child a book is always, I think the best thing that you can do because toys come and go, but books last forever. Uh, so I, I celebrate you, Sarah, really remarkable. We can't wait until you write more and we'll have to have you back when you've got more in the series. Do you know what the subject matter of the second book is going to be? 
Yeah, so the next one's going to focus more around kind of ADHD and the sensory processing side of things. Okay, can I request, I'm, I, and you probably have already thought about this, are you going to put your younger daughter in the book? She's told me I've got to. <laughs> okay, I'm with her. I'm with her because you know what else? You know, the other thing that people write in and tell us all the time, there isn't enough out there about the siblings. Um, yeah. For them to have it normalized that this is what my life is like. This is what my life looks like. This is my brother, my sister. I love them. And it's not always about me and all the feelings that I have about that. Um, you know, it's it's a really important topic. So please uh, make sure. I, I love that she already told you she has to be in it. She's. <laughs> I think that the siblings grow up to be the most amazing people on the face of the planet. I have yet, like, I, I have yet to meet somebody on the autism spectrum that I don't like, and I have yet to meet anybody who is the sibling of somebody on the autism spectrum that I don't like. They're all amazing people. Um, and that's a pretty broad statement, so uh, that they're all amazing, but that is, the, my science, my data has shown that to be true. So please give both of your girls a hug. We encourage everybody to go and get the book, but get two of them at least. Um, and I, I always say too, if nothing else, get one for your child's teacher to have them add it to their library, because then that will be something that a generation of kids will read. And if your children are lo no longer in school, what a great gift to give to the local library or the local school. It's a really good service that you would be doing. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right. You give those girls a hug from us. Okay. I will do. Thank you. All right. You take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, we've got just a couple of minutes here at the end of the show. I just wanted to shout out to Bert and say, Bert, I'm really excited about the fact that you are an artist and that you love birds and that you want to do a children's book about birds. I think that that's absolutely amazing. And Bert, I want to encourage you to um, go to uh, a website that's the art of autism. And the website is literally the-art-of-autism.com. Uh, I had to think about it for a second. But go and check out, um, they're, they're just a nonprofit organization that helps artists on the spectrum to figure out what they want to do, how they want to monetize it. Because you know, any artist has a hard time figuring out how do I do this for a living, right? But it's very possible. And in this digital age, it's more possible than ever. And so I want to encourage you to reach out to them um, and take a look at what they're doing uh, because that's a really um, a fun, fun thing to do. Uh, okay, I'm looking back at questions. Anybody got a question? Because we got about eight minutes left here. Oh, Nava, I didn't see that Nava wrote in and she said, I happen to think that moms are the ultimate experts. I really agree with you, Nava. Uh, I, I do. But I, I have a lot of respect for people who have come into this environment and they I always say you know we got recruited into this because for a lot of us either those of you who are on the spectrum you know you're you were born and you were a part of this community and for those of us who are parents our children were born and then later diagnosed and so we were recruited in and there's a group of people though who are you know are growing up and they go you know what i'd like to do 
I'd like to work with people who are on the autism spectrum. I would like to be a support to them. I would like to help them to be able to speak. I would like to be able to help them, you know, fill in the blank. And they devote their entire life to doing this. And I'm always in awe of them. I'm, I'm like, you know, who, I, I gotta be honest with you. I, um, you know, I've always had an interest in a lot of different things. And I had a college, like uh, my, my college roommate had a son who was diagnosed with autism and I was deeply, deeply curious and wanted to be supportive and loved meeting him and all of those things. I didn't go, hey, you know what I think I'll go do? I'll, I'll go start a show about autism or I'll go, you know, at the time I was a college professor teaching theater and I did do theater that was inclusive, but it wasn't like I said, I know what I'm going to go do. I'm going to start a theater group um, that's inclusive for people on the autism spectrum. Like it didn't occur to me. It wasn't a thing. So I'm always in awe of those people who see it and go, yes, no, this is what I want to do. I want to spend the rest of my life doing this. Um, and I have respect for the experts. There were things that as a mom, um, that I felt really strongly about for my son. Um, but there were things I didn't know how to do. And I always tell the story about when we started therapy and we had the best of ABA. Um, and at that time they would come to the house and it was the center for autism and related disorders. And the second therapist, first of all, the first therapist that ever came to the door was such a shock to me. I, you know, I don't know what I expected, but when they were talking about therapists, I guess I expected a little Sigmund Freud to be at the door in a suit. You know what I mean? And I opened the door and the only thing that I can say to describe this young man is that his personality reminded me of the genie from um, Aladdin. You know, the Robin Williams cartoon genie, like that's how he was. And he did have a big gold earring and dreadlocks and, but he would laugh and I would think we're going to get kicked out of our condo because it would, he would make so much noise and he would play with my son and it would sound like, you know, insanity, but my kid would be laughing and, and jumping and, you know, uh, and wanting to engage where my child hadn't. So that was amazing. That was the first therapist who came to the door. The second therapist who came to the door. Now I'm like, oh, I'm expecting another genie. And I opened the door and it was this guy who was standing there in board shorts and flip-flops and he looked like he was 12. So much so that I literally said to him, we don't want the, I thought he was a paper boy, you know, selling the LA Times. And I said, we don't want the LA Times. And I went to shut the door on his flip-flops and he said, no, no, ma'am, I'm, I'm your therapist. That's what they called him then. I'm your therapist. And he introduced himself to me. And I literally thought they're sending children now. This is, this kid is 12. And later I found out he was 19. But you know, by that point I was like, what, 43 years old. And I was like, they sent a 19 year old boy and flip-flops and now they're not allowed to wear flip-flops. But I was like, a 19 year old, what is a 19 year old boy going to help me with, with my kiddo? Like, seriously, come on folks. Right. And I was in that mode of, you know, I'm a, I'm a former teacher and I'm, you know, I'm, I, this isn't my first rodeo and this is my kid. And I know more 19 year old boy. And that 19 year old boy changed my life. He like, it, it took about two weeks, but one of the things that we had said to them at card when we started they had us make a list of what were the things that we most wanted to change. Like what was on our wish, wish list? And I said, I want him to talk, right? 
And, and I said, and I want him to stop hitting his head on the kitchen floor. And I want him to go to sleep at a reasonable time because we were driving around in the car till three o'clock in the morning. Um, and I, you know, then they said, well, you know, the talking is going to take a while. Um, so of, of these two, the sleeping and the beating his head on the floor, which do you think is the more important to you? And I said, the hitting his head on the floor is going to cause brain damage. Um, and they said, yes, but when he stays up till three o'clock in the morning, so, so do you, and you're overwhelmed, underslept, we got to get the sleep in place first. We're going to take some precautions so he can't hurt himself in the meantime. But, and I thought, well, we're never going to get to it because he's never going to sleep. Like, you know, we just had gotten used to driving him around the car till three, three thirty in the morning, you know, that, and I was like, well, that works enough. Although I was dying because I wasn't getting enough sleep. And they said, no, no, we're going to tackle the sleep first. And we're going to do this, 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 and this. And I went, yeah, that's not going to work. Thank you. Um, not going to work. And they were like, no, we kind of have this figured out experts, right? But mom, I was like, it's not going to work. And they said, would you be willing to do exactly, you know, and they had it all written down for me and we did it. And within, I'm not kidding you, within four days, he was going to sleep at a reasonable time and sleeping through the night, which ticked me off. Because if it was that easy, why hadn't somebody showed me before? And within seven days, it was like all done. The sleep intervention thing was over and in place and, I, and, and our lives had changed and I was getting sleep. And I was, I was ticked. I was like, how, what was I doing wrong? I just wasn't doing it in the right order, right? But that's where the experts come into play. I'm smart, but if I leave out a step or do it in the wrong order, you know, it wasn't happening. And they were able to talk me through it and say, and you, and this might happen, but you got to keep doing it right. So a week later, I'm like, okay, we did the sleep thing. Now let's take care of the hitting the head on the kitchen floor. But it wasn't happening while they were there. It was only happening when he was home with me. And that started to make me paranoid. Like, oh, they're going to pin this on me, right? It's mom's fault. Cause I didn't know them to, uh, enough to know that they weren't going to do that. But then finally, one day when the 19 year old was there and he was finishing up his session and he, they, they used to graph by hand, you know, the progress of the kids made. And so he was sitting on my couch graphing, which meant that he was out the door in about five minutes. And my child started hitting his head on the kitchen floor. And I thought, Ugh. and I turned around and I said to the therapist, of course it happens at the end of your session and you're going to leave. And he said, Nope, I've already texted them. I, you know, to put somebody else on my next session, I'm staying until this is over. And as a parent, I said, oh, great, handle it. I'm going in the other room. And this 19-year-old said to me, no, um, actually, we're going to do that differently. And you're going to do all of the intervention, and I'm just going to talk you through it. Since it's happening with you, we want you to understand it. And the best way to do that is to do it. And I went, what? And he said, I'm just going to talk to you in your ear, and I'm going to talk you through this. And anyway, long story, and I've only got a minute left. Um, we got the house um, secured so that he couldn't hit his head on the kitchen floor anymore. They'd made us put a baby gate up. So he couldn't do that anymore, but he was screaming and yelling and snotting and pulling on my pants. And this 19 year old boy says to me, I'm like, well, okay, genius. What do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to water the plants. Water, what? You want me to water the plants? And he said, yeah, I want you to water the plants. And I said, what do you want me to do with him? He's freaking out. And he's like, he, listen to him. He's okay. He's upset, but he is doing all of this to get your attention. We're not leaving the room. We're going to be able to see him at all times. 
But while he's engaged in this behavior, we're going to do other things. I want you to water the plants. And I, so, you know, I'm like, oh, this is crazy. But I go around and I water the plants and my kid is full on tantruming now. And my parenting says, you got to deal with that. He's in pain. You got to deal with that. And he says to me, no, he's doing this because he wants your attention. And every time you give him attention in this mode, he's going to keep doing it. He's fine. He's not hurt. You're right here. You can see that he's not hurt. Now I want you to dust the television. And I'm like, what are the plants dust the television? Is this a cleaning program or is this an autism program? Right. And he's, he's like, just do it. Then he had me go through the mail on the counter and I, I was a mess. I was crying and laughing and hysterical. And I said to him, I I can't do this. I'm going to wet my pants. I literally was shorting out because this was so foreign to me as a parent. When your child is crying, you pick them up, you hug them, you give them a bottle, you rock them, you hold them. And he said, no, not if they're doing it negatively to get your attention. He hit his head on the kitchen floor to get your attention. You don't want that equation. He says, I hit my head on the floor. You give me what I want. Let's change that equation to, I ask mom and I get what I want, right? But he's yakking at me and I'm, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And he says, just listen to him for a second. He's winding down. Listen to how tired he is. You're tired too. He said, listen to me. I've done this so many times. I'm telling you, he's only got about two more minutes in him. If you stick in for two more minutes, he's going to learn that when I freak out is not when I get mom's attention. Um, And that will be something he learns his whole life. Uh, So can you stick with me for two more minutes? I don't know. Within two minutes, I'm talking like a minute and a half later, my son stopped crying. And my son, who was at this point nonverbal, said, mama. And I hadn't heard mama in so long. I like shorted out. And if it had just been me, I would have just sat down and cried because I wouldn't have known what to do. But the 19-year-old was there and he said, now. Now, mom, now pick him up, now hug him, now rock him, now hold him. Um, Because he asked for your attention, give it to him now. Teach him when you ask for my attention, it's there for you. So I'm holding my child and rocking and crying. But here's the upshot of it. My son never hit his head on the kitchen floor again. Never again. Because he had learned that's not how I get what I want. And a 19-year-old boy in board shorts and flip-flops, who's now considered amazing expert in the field of autism and is, you know, he's not a boy anymore, but he was 19 years old. And he taught me what to do. That if I change the equation, that I could really be a teacher for my son, that I could really be there for him, that I could really comfort him, but that I set up circumstances under which he didn't have to hit his head on the kitchen floor to be able to get my attention and to get what he wanted. So moms are experts, but don't discount the other experts because sometimes they can save your life, change everything for you. A 19 year old did that for me. Uh, Okay. So I want to thank all of you for being here. I want to tell you that we've gone way over. Sorry, Trina. Uh, I want to tell you that tomorrow we're doing a best of um, Temple Grandin. And, and then we are going to see, I'm not, I cannot promise you that we're going to be here live on Wednesday and Thursday. All will be revealed later. Um, but we are going to be back live for sure on Friday. 
and Alex Plank is going to be with us on Friday. He's an amazing self-advocate. He is the creator of the site wrongplanet.net, which as parents, if there are people on the spectrum or parents of people on the spectrum on this call, you got to go check out wrongplanet.net. It's the place to be. And Alex created that when he was 17. Um, so he's a, and, and you've seen him on The Good Doctor. He was a, a guest star on The Doctor. He's uh, an amazing young man. So that will definitely be on Friday. And we will have programming for you in between. I'm not sure. Might be live, might not. Um, so you'll have to tune in to see, and I'll let you guys know on Friday what's going on. Can't, I can't reveal right now, uh, but it's big. Okay, so I want to thank you guys for being here. I want to thank our guest, Sarah Caldwell, and, and thank you all for tuning in. And we, I will for sure be back here on Friday, but we'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.